The following is a class given by His Holiness Jaya Pataka Swami Maharaj on November 7th, 2007 in Dream Tuscan. The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 7th Canto, Chapter 7, Verse 27. Tadwaro hi samsaro, Tadwaro hi samsaro, Guna karmani bandana, Guna karmani bandana, Agana mula apartopi, Agana mula apartopi, Pumsa swapna hi varpyate, Translation by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Through polluted intelligence one is subjected to the modes of nature, and thus one is conditioned by material existence, like a dreaming state in which one falsely suffers. Material existence which is due to ignorance must be considered unwanted and temporary. Translation with repetition. Through polluted intelligence. One is subjected to the modes of nature. And thus one is conditioned by material existence. Like a dreaming state in which one falsely suffers. Material existence which is due to ignorance must be considered unwanted and temporary. Report by Śrīla Prabhupāda. The unwanted condition of temporary life is called ignorance. One can very easily understand that the material body is temporary, for it is generated at a certain date Because of ignorance, one is put into temporary bodies one after another. Uh, for it is generated at a certain day and ends at a certain date after undergoing the six kinds of change, namely birth, death, growth, maintenance, transformation, and whittling. This condition of the eternal soul is due to his ignorance, and although it is temporary, it is unwanted. Because of ignorance, one is put into temporary bodies one after another. The spirit soul, however, does not need to enter such temporary bodies. He does so only due to his ignorance or his forgetfulness of Krishna. Therefore, in the human form of life, when one's intelligence is developed, one should change his consciousness to trying to understand Krishna then one can be liberated. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. 
then one can be liberated. This is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 4.9 where the Lord says, Janma karma chame divyam evam yo veditatvataha chaktva deham punar janma naiti mameti sorjuna. Translation. One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not upon leaving the body take his birth again in this material world, but attains to my eternal abode, O Arjuna. Unless one understands Krishna comes to Krishna consciousness, one must continue in material bondage. To end this conditional life, one must surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Indeed, that is demanded. Unless one understands Krishna comes to Krishna consciousness, one must continue in material bondage to end his conditional life. One must surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Indeed, that is demanded by the Supreme Lord Sarvadharma Pradityaja Mami Kamsaranam Braja. As advised by Maharaj Vishab Deva, Nasadu Manye Yato Atmanoyam one must be intelligent enough to understand that although one's body is temporary and will not endure for long, as long as one has a body, he must undergo the pains of material existence. Therefore, therefore by good association, by the instructions of bona fide spiritual master, one takes to Krishna <coughs> consciousness. His conditional life of material existence is vanquished, and his original consciousness, known as Krishna consciousness, is revived. When one is Krishna conscious, he can realize that material existence, whether one is awake or dreaming, is nothing but a dream and has no factual value. This realization is possible by the grace of the Supreme Lord. This grace is also present in the form of the instructions of Bhagavad Gita. Therefore, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission is for everyone to engage in welfare activities to awaken the foolish living entity. Especially in human society, so that he may come to the platform of Krishna consciousness and benefit by liberation from conditional life. In this connection, Śrīla Madhvācharya cites the following verses. Dukkā rūpo pi samsāro bhūti purvama vāpyate yatā svapne siras chedam svayam kritvātmano vasā Tato dukamavapyeta, tata jagarito pitu, jananapyatmano dukam, avasastu pravartate. One must realize that the material condition of life is full of distresses. One can realize this with purified intelligence. 
When one's intelligence is purified, he can understand that unwanted, temporary, material life is just like a dream. Just as one suffers pain when his head is cut off in a dream. In ignorance one suffers not only while dreaming, but also while awake. Without the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one continues in ignorance and is thus subjected to material distresses in various ways. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta Swami charity, uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami translation, purport, Canto 7, Chapter 7, Text 27, Srimad Bhagavatam, What Prahlad Learned in the Womb. Adi Om Tasmai This is a very interesting verse. Simply explained by Prahlad to his fellow students. But they were only five-year-old students. Now probably the University students would have a difficult one trying to understand this one. But Prahlad's uh, students are pretty sharp. Five, six years old, they could grasp it all. They started to do what? They started to chant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare We're put into this dreaming state of maya where we're identifying with our bodies. Therefore, whatever the body experiences, we think it's happening to us. Just like in a dream. One is subjected to different kinds of experiences. But actually, we wake up, we find that nothing has changed. But simply we went through suffering and we went through maybe happiness, different, depending on whatever the dream was. It was a good dream or a nightmare. So Prabhupada said that sometimes the spiritual master suffers the karma that his uh, disciples have uh, kindly given to him, or unkindly, depending. And uh, so that sometimes uh, it's like a ride on a roller coaster through hell. You experience all kinds of weird things and even if you want to wake up you can't. It's not like a dream, it's like you're there. So he said that because of his disciples were not all following, sometimes he had to experience this kind of dreams which were meant to pay off 
the karma. Somehow other we get a token or all of the karma, whatever Krishna wants, either by suffering in the waking state or in the dreaming state. So like this, the dreams are a way we can also suffer and enjoy some of our reactions. At the same time, it's only a dream, nothing changed. So like that, in our, the Atma doesn't change. We go through so many births and so many different uh, experiences. So the analogy is used here, it's like a dream. But when you're in the dream, you're experiencing it. It seems as real as anything else. So right now, we're in this material dream state, within which there's also a dream state. But if we're properly guided by a bona fide spiritual master, we follow the scriptures, then we shouldn't be disturbed by the difficulties we face in this material life, because it's only a dream. And part of the material life means you have to suffer. It was very interesting couple places here in the purport, Prabhupada said that you have to, one must realize that the material conditional life is full of distresses. Has anybody here realized that? <laughs> she didn't get it. <laughs> Already, how old are you? You've already realized it some extent. You raised your hand. <laughs> Until we realize it, then we get some experiences to help us to realize it. Without the mercy of the Supreme Personality Godhead, one continues in ignorance and thus subjected to material distresses in various ways. We're just in, uh, well, I say just, it was a month ago or so in Mayapur. That time I went to see uh, Nirguna Prabhu, who was uh, my god brother. I don't know if you know Nirguna, he was an active book distributor and very pleasant to Modi. And he was taking some kind of a alternative medicine for curing his cancer, but he had a strange cancer that kind of wrapped around his spinal cord, so they couldn't operate on it because they, would, they feared that he would, that they would destroy his spinal cord. It's all, it was right behind his lungs, had heart trouble breathing, different, really complicated situation. But that was the Radhastami, and so then uh, 
They brought him over to Radha, Radha's uh, Abhishek, and although he couldn't stand up on his own, there was some strong devotees lifting him up, he performed the Abhishek. And just before I left, I, I saw him, and then he said that, actually, no, I just realized that, uh, you know, I'm not going to make it. And uh, I feel a big relief. There's a big struggle trying to exist. But, uh, so this Janmasipu called me up and told me that uh, a few days ago, when he, uh, he just woke up in the morning and he started chanting and he had his hands in the air and he was chanting and the Kurma Prabhu was chanting for like seven hours. He's just smiling. You know, he's like, he's smiling and chanting for three hours with his hands in the air, laying down on his bed, and then he left. Yeah. Usually in the hospital, people don't die smiling. Don't know what he was seeing, or if he must have been seeing something very nice. I have, a, I have a disciple who's, uh, she was serving with her husband in a Soho restaurant in uh, England, in London. And then uh, she heard her father went into coma. I don't know, it was a heart attack or a stroke or something. And then, so she flew down to see her father who was in Buenos Aires. And he's in the hospital in a coma. And his mother and sister, maybe some other relatives were there. When she entered the room, like everybody's so stressed out because the father's in a coma, he's dying, and they don't know what to do. You heard this? And then uh, the sister like started shouting at her. You! You and your Hare Krishna, all these things you're doing. Now look at our father, he's in a coma. Now what can this do? Now what's going to save him? And like this time, you know, in Spanish, shouting out at her. <laughs> so I just got here, let me see what I can do. So then she took the Bhagavad Gita and started reading it to her father. And, uh, verses and translations. Somehow, the sister was looking and I was, she was reading and she said, Mom, look at Dad's smiling. And the mother said, no, he hadn't smiled for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? He's smiling. And then they had, you know, then she looked at him and she said, oh, you know, Amamiya and Holy Mary. <laughs> He's really smiling. And then the nurses and doctors, they never saw somebody in coma smiling. You know. <laughs> but as soon as she would stop reading, then, you know, his smile would... <laughs> so, the nurse and the doctor, we don't know what's happening, but if he's smiling, he must be in a good place, you know, must be 
So then uh, the mother, the sister, everybody who was before negative, they took turns and reading the Bhagavad Gita and keep the father smiling. <laughs> so like this, uh, and finally he also passed away smiling. And sometimes devotees uh, survive. Sometimes they, they don't. We don't, eventually we all don't. Okay, I understood it. So part of the reality of this world, everyone who is born is bound to die. Everyone who dies is bound to be reborn. Unless, of course, we surrender to Krishna. When we surrender to Krishna, then Krishna takes us back to Him. I was thinking while I was reading this, uh, it's like a great movie, that here there's people who misbehave, they're put into some kind of a dream state perpetually. But what their dreams are can be monitored by the supervisors. And when they actually become rehabilitated, then they're woken up. That's basically that's what's happening to us. But then that here we are in this dream state and we're <laughs> exiled from the spiritual world but if we wake up and start to perform our devotional service and we start to <clears throat> serve Guru and Krishna then uh, the whole conditional life of material existence is vanquished and we get transferred back to our eternal life so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he came down very mercifully to deliver all of us. Making devotional service as easy as it's more more easy than it's ever been. Says Govinda Das Ananda simply giving us a blissful part. Otherwise in previous yugas, people doing Really, to do daily worship, we need a particular bent of mind and to do fire yagyas and meditation and tapasyas. Devotional service, but a bit difficult, relatively speaking. Or to speak of other kinds of yoga where <clears throat> it's really tough all the way. Stanga yoga. So here, And this yuga, some places it says how Kali Yuga is the worst place because of so much suffering. I was reading recently uh, how Mother Teresa, when she saw so much suffering in the world, she actually started to doubt whether there's really, how can there be a God? How can we allow people to suffer so much? 
This is kind of shocking. There is somebody who's being proposed to be a saint and she was having doubts whether there's a really God. But <coughs> she saw some pretty heavy suffering, so maybe it was really emotionally hard. Uh, but in our Krishna consciousness, then we understand that the Krishna, he creates the material world, but he allows it to run an automatic gear through the modes of karma. He only intervenes sometimes, and he can't intervene anytime, but he intervenes uh, usually with his devotees. I can say it doesn't, <clears throat> since other people, if they're not devotees, then why intervene? He reciprocates. They ignore him, he ignores them. In the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, it explains, although he creates the material world, although everything is under his control, but although he sometimes, he's, he's without it, he's outside of it. At the same time, sometimes he goes in it, but Uh, he doesn't, uh, he's not part of it. So like this, it's very confusing, what is the position? I heard one rabbi wrote a book that, you know, why the good things happen, why the bad things happen to good people. And then he had the speculation that God's a good guy and he made him into a world, but then he kind of messed up and it came went out of control and it's like he doesn't really have any control over it. <laughs> He's not, he's, he, uh, he's not like all-powerful, he's just like... But actually, uh, maybe that way for Lord Brahma, to some extent. Because sometimes things get so messed up in the universe that Vishnu has to come down and straighten everything out. There's this uh, pastime about... Uh, there's some heavy wars in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Padma Puran was also some wars. There's a story about the Mora demon, from where Krishna got the name Morari. That he, I don't, I don't remember, I don't know if I read, how he got his powers. Usually they do some extreme tapasyas and get some blessings. And then, but he had so many mystical powers that it was quite amazing. He was uh, very well aware of the difference between the Atma and the soul, I mean the soul and the body. <clears throat> but he was uh, very much inimical to Vishnu. So he became the leader of the demons. And there was a huge interstellar war between the uh, Devas who probably in Christian parlance you'd call as angels, material angels with different categories of angels. Parshadas are the spiritual ones. But uh, <clears throat> between the devas and the demons. And Mora used his mystical powers so that the devas couldn't tell who was the demon and who was the deva. He made all the demons look like angels. So all of a sudden this uh, fellow angel, fellow uh, deva, 
will attack you. And you, you know, you see, you don't know who to, who do you attack. And sometimes they attack. No, I am on your side. No, you know, so it's like completely, how can you fight it? If you don't know who's your enemy. That's kind of what's happening in Iraq now, I guess. People walk on the street and all of a sudden they get blown up because somebody just pushes the landmine button or whatever. You don't know, you know. It's like a guerrilla war, terrorism. You don't know who's your enemy and who's your friend. Sometimes innocent people get killed. Well, this was a war zone, complete battle, but the demons knew who the, 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 the devas were, but the devas couldn't tell who the demons were. So the devas are getting defeated. So then uh, Skanda Morgan, who's the king of the, the general of the devas, said he was like, he went, to, he was getting confused what to do. So I think he prayed to, uh, to Brahma to help out that they need, they need the, how can they fight like this? So by Brahma's prayer, then uh, Krishna, I mean Vishnu, he came into the fluent Garuda, and with his Sudarshan chakra illuminating brilliant light, then it was like everybody got exposed. Who's who? And then the devas could, you know, okay, <laughs> get into fighting. Normally the devas can win, but this was like so many mystical powers that Mora demon had that he, that he was tipping the balance on the side of the, of the demons. But once the devas, uh, when Vishnu came in, then uh, things uh, started to balance out. So then, the Mora demon, he, had, he came up with a new plot. Since Vishnu had neutralized his his illusions, so then he, he tried another illusion. He came in, disguised as uh, Shiva, who's the father of Morgan, of Skanda. And he challenged Vishnu, started throwing weapons at Vishnu. So then, Vishnu, no, this is just more, you know, more a demon. In the disguise, in the form as if he is Shiva. So he shoots his Sudarshan chakra, chops off the head. So as the Sudarshan chakra is coming in that microsecond of time, more demon leaves the body. So it's already dead. And he creates a new illusion. Now he comes as Durga, the uh, wife of Shiva. And she is very angry. You've killed my husband. Now I'm going to kill you. So now Murad, even disguised as uh, Durga, attacks Vishnu. Again, Vishnu, so what's going on here? Another, you know, illusion. And then chops off her head. But Murad even leaves before the weapon comes, so he doesn't get killed. Then he enters into a subtle form and takes over the mind of Skanda. And then maybe not to fully take over, but like influence it, like be there, like, like almost like haunting him. 
and saying that your mother and father were just killed by Vishnu. So then even Skanda for a minute got bewildered and he's like thinking of that, that I have to do something to revenge my mother and father. So like this, Mora Mor was the expert to create fights between, you know, like he was having the, the devas kill the devas because of the, the, the previously. Now he was trying to get Morgan to attack Vishnu, so when Morgan be killed, it would be an easy job to finish the rest of the demons, the devas. But then somehow Brahma came down and saved uh, Morgan from attacking Vishnu and said, this is all illusion of Mora. Look in Kailash, use your powers, look in Kailash. Your mother and father are there, they're not dead, this was all illusions by Mora. He looks, oh yeah, hi mom, hi dad, you know. You know. <laughs> this is amazing. That's why the Mora demon was really a tough guy. And finally, Vishnu, he had nowhere to hide, nowhere to go, then Vishnu finished him off. He's creating this huge interstellar wars. And some people, they have this attitude of, you know, very much inimical to God. This material world is for these people and the people who are doing things uh, against the laws of God. And actually they have to suffer a certain amount of karmas. So, <clears throat> like this, Vishnu sometimes intervenes, saves his devotees. But generally things just going on. If we hadn't intervened, then it would have you know, been a big disaster in the universe. So also Prahlad, he intervened, saved Prahlad's life personally. You have to be pretty special to get a personal intervention, otherwise he just kind of does it by remote control through some other agent. So we are locked into this uh, dream state here in the material world, falsely suffering and sometimes fa falsely enjoying and this material existence is uh, pretty big. So many big, big thinkers there and this uh, illusion. So somehow We have the task to disseminate this knowledge. And Kali's, uh, Kali's uh, priority is to somehow divert us one way or another, or neutralize us so that we don't spread this knowledge. Because this knowledge of the Bhagavatam totally counteracts the effects of Kali. It makes Kali the best age. If you know the science of the Bhagavatam, you know devotional service, you chant Hare Krishna, then Kali Yuga is a great time. You can make spiritual advancement very quickly. 
But if you're not careful, you don't follow the instructions of uh, your spiritual master and scriptures. Then Kali can also put somebody in illusion. Just like the Moradinen put so many people into illusion. You can forget what we're really supposed to be doing. When Krishna consciousness was at its peak 300 years ago, after the six Goswamis and all the Acharyas had preached, then Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that Kali approached Sukracharya, the guru of the demons, and said that, uh, you have to help me, my, my age is not getting off. This continues on, and then uh, I, won't, uh, I won't be able to do my thing in India at least. And, uh, and it spread all over the world. So then uh, Sukracharya said, well, I owe one against Vishnu because when he took the form of a fly and went into the Kamandalu of Bali to block the water from coming out of his water pot so that the three drops of water had to hit the hand of uh, Ramana Dev and then he could make the gift. So to block it, he took the form of a fly and blocked the sprout. Kamandalus have this little spout like a flower jug or something. And uh, <coughs> so then Vishnu took a kusa grass and popped him out from the water pot. And while doing that he poked out one of his eyes. So since then, just to remind Sukracharya that he was misguiding his disciple, he was an unbonafide guru. He's not one of the bonafide sampradayas, but he's a Brahminical guru. So he has one eye. So he said, since uh, he poked my eye out, I'm going to get back at him, and I'll disturb his movement. So he incarnated as uh, Rupa Kaviraj, and spread the Sahajya Dharma, which is that you don't have to practice Krishna consciousness very strictly, you don't have to chant or preach, you just immediately enter into uh, imagining that you're one of the eternal associates and then acting uh, like a dramatical playback of that in your mind. And in this way, uh, it's a, it seems like a shortcut. You know, you can imagine you're one of the Manjaris or one of the coward boys or something. Read some very esoteric books. And so this is called Sahajya. They were cheap. They make everything cheap. <clears throat> but it's just an imagination. It's not the real thing. It's another dream state. Well, actually, we should. We want to awaken that real love for Krishna. We want to awaken what is. We want to realize what is our real relationship. But you can go in Vrindavan, and uh, some Babaji will tell you, well, "I'll tell you what your eternal relationship is with Krishna," and uh, make this. He'll, he'll just tell you that you're this or you're that. 
But what is the use of that? How do you know it's true? We don't want to be told about it. We want to to realize it. We want to see Krishna and see ourselves as a cowherd boy or a gopi or whatever we are and feel all those emotions and things that we're supposed to feel in that eternal relationship. We don't want to just have some, okay, you're a, there was one guy who was told that he was a peacock. Usually the Westerners, they always tell them that uh, Santa Ras, I guess they figure because we're born in a Western country, we have to, we're not deserved to be in a higher Ras or something. <laughs> so they found this devotee in the corner, flapping his arms. And then someone said, you know, what you're doing? And then he said, no, no, nothing, nothing. No, no, they kept, you know, what were you doing that day? You know, like some kind of new exercise, aerobics or something. I don't even have aerobics, but anyway. Something, what's you doing? And then they finally revealed that he was told that his eternal rasa was a peacock. He was just like practicing. <laughs> so like this, cheaters and the cheated. We don't know what Nirguna was experiencing, and maybe he was realizing a lot of things. That they say, just looking in the sky with a big smile on his face, or he's dying with cancer. There was another person passed away, and now I can't remember who. A little sleep deprived the past couple of days. Normally goes down. Where he literally, literally when he was leaving, he said he would start saying, Krishna, Krishna, you come for me. And then he died. Or Prabhupada or something, I can't remember right now. Prabhupada, Prabhupada, who is that? It was Prabhupada. So Prabhupada came, took him back. So while we're in the dream, we have to come over here in this material world. This is our, we play off, we play out our duties. That's why it's important if we can play out our duties, play out our Krishna conscious duties. For whatever ashram happens to be, whichever ashram we take to, to fight this war with, then we have to follow the rules of that ashram. Someone may switch one ashram to the next. And whatever ashram we're in, that means then we have to follow those rules. So somebody's in the Grihasta ashram, they also have children, have husband, a wife, and they follow those rules on how to make their family Krishna conscious, how to practice within that environment. Grihasa life is considered a responsible life, like Gopal Bhatta Goswami mentions in the Sanskar Deepika. A lot of responsibilities. Also responsible to help the temples to survive. When the brahmacharis are considered, what Prabhupada said, they're uh, free. little free life. They don't have so many responsibilities. 
So they give them spiritual things to do, but materially they don't have so many responsibilities necessarily. So like that, different stages. Whatever phase we happen to be, or ashram we're in in our material life, and we follow those rules and we practice our Krishna consciousness. And this way we can, we can awaken our Krishna consciousness. We help other people to be Krishna conscious. That also gives us a bonus. We benefit from whatever people we help achieve. And we also benefit. So people identify with the material world because they have a polluted intelligence. So we purify our intelligence, purify our mind, and naturally we'll be able to see things as they are. So gradually the devotees start to, even before they realize their, their self, or realize Krishna, they start to get realizations where they can see how the material world is working. They have a deeper, more profound understanding. So gradually the condition, conditioning starts to reverse itself. They're able to tolerate the sufferings and tolerate the enjoying. Suddenly get intoxicated by enjoying. I remember had one disciple and he was very poor family. I don't know, he was not a poor family, but somehow he was distressed and he joined in South America and then uh, one relative, some rich uncle, somebody died and left him like $28,000, which was in South America like a fortune. But he thought, why do I have to stay in Krishna consciousness? So many austerities. Now I'm rich, I can enjoy. So he went out and tried to enjoy, spent all his money, all kinds of new friends came till his money was gone. Probably burned out and he came back to the temple without any money. <laughs> the Lord said, you know, anyway, Krishna's so merciful. It doesn't seem to learn, you know, I go somewhere like this. Material life sometimes can trick us with happiness. They know I can be happy, and we, our priority to be Krishna conscious goes down. Then when we're far from Krishna, then Maya sometimes, uh, Krishna's mercy lets Maya smash us, and that helps us to remember that, what am I doing here? I was so happy when I was a Krishna conscious person, and now I'm in Maya, I'm suffering like anything. But initially you don't think that. Initially you get tricked by happiness sometimes. So one has to be very careful. We want to do everything to please Krishna. We don't want any shortcuts. We don't want any deviations. We just want to do the proper thing, which will be the most pleasing to Krishna. To be sure, that's why we always should consult with the spiritual master. Be sure that things are according to the scripture. So here Prahlad is teaching his student friends 
and then sing them that they should chant. Like that, each one of us, wherever we are, if you're working or if you're students or in the family, how to convince your children to be Krishna conscious? How to convince your friends, your neighbors, your work colleagues, your when you get an opportunity? It's a disciple who was working for AT&T and uh, she was a bit too much out, outgoing so people tend to be, had to be pretty, what's it called, tactful. She didn't. But somehow people knew that she was a devotee I and mean, she knew because she was like, you know, pretty outgoing about it. But I told her to lay low because uh, but then one day there was a lady came up to her and said, and I just lost my mother, father, somebody who was very dear to me. I know that you have some spiritual knowledge and you know about these things. Can you please tell us something? I meet you later. You can tell me something so I can deal with this better. So I you know, you can be there for people, be there to be able to help. It was amazing. Yesterday when we were flying from L.A. to here, on a U.S. Air, I was in 3C and uh, my secretary was in 3E. So then there was a lady sat down in 3D. I said, "Can I switch with you?" So I can sit next to my friend. He said, "Oh, so we switched." Then there's this lady in the window seat, and she's talking like really loud, and I'm just you know gently making some emails on my hand computer. And the guy comes and says, you should turn, close your computer up, you know, because we're going to close the door of the, of the airplane. He said, when you close it, I'll turn it off. Said, well, no, we can't close it until you turn it off. Said, no. That was a total scam. I mean, I've been flying. <laughs> and then, but this lady shouting on her phone, yeah, you know, and then I said, you know, get in my case, what about her? <laughs> I didn't say that. I, mean, I didn't say, but he could like pick that. I didn't say anything, and, and, but then she got on here her case, so then uh, she, we all turned off our, they were complaining how the doors open, you know, we don't know how, when they're going to close it, why, usually, you know, once they close it, they tell everybody to turn off here. We started talking, and then, uh, so they said, you know, we're vegetarian, and she was talking with my secretary from Malaysia. She was fascinated by Malaysia because her mother went to Malaysia. So. But uh, at one point, she broke down. She said, "You know, she's got this great job and everything. She's going around selling things to Shafra and big companies." And, but uh, she's suffering so much in her family life and this and that. I don't go and call it. She. But uh, we started crying, right? Right in the plane, started crying. <clears throat> and we were talking, and we were saying how we're vegetarians. So vegetarian, okay, you know, the, the why? And then I explained why we should be vegetarian. And so, okay, the animals, the fish are okay, right? It's fish. You know. Then I explained how a fish can eat anything. I mean, they, they're like scavengers that if there's a dead body in the in the water, they'll go and they'll eat the, even a human dead body. So they eat fish. It's like, oh, don't tell me anymore. I, I'm never going to eat fish again. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know too much. <laughs> if I keep asking you questions, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to. 
My whole life's going to change, you know. <laughs> but at the end, she took a Panchatattva and Hare Krishna mantra, said, please keep in touch with me. I want to come and visit you in India. It's amazing. Sometimes you, know, just, you meet people. Usually you don't meet anybody. I mean, it's rare, but sometimes you do meet. I still met, I met one multi-billionaire that said he was going to help us. I have to follow up on that one. <laughs> they had just given a, a million and a half dollars to the orangutan calf thing in uh, Malaysia. Save the orangutan. So, you do meet people. And uh, I remember one time I was flying from Calcutta to Bangkok and I had a reservation in business class. And they said, sorry, but somehow your reservation got lost and I had to put you in economy. So you have a business class ticket, I don't know what happened. <laughs> we'll refund you the difference later, do that, you know, anyway. That wasn't, I was just starting to travel, so I was a little impatient, what's going on. No, I just take it all, never know what Krishna's plan is. And I was sitting in the back of the plane, and... Uh, I look over and now everybody wears sikas and uh, neck beads, it's like a fashion. But in those days nobody wore sikas and neck beads. I looked at Sadhus, it's a body wearing uh, neck beads. I mean, I don't know, it's a boy, I saw a young guy wearing shirt and pants, wearing neck beads, and I said, Hari Bol. He looked at me, Hari Bol Maharaj. So how are you? Maharaj, I was trying to bloop. I was trying to run away. And you're there. <laughs> so Krishna canceled. So like Krishna must have intervened, canceled the rest of it. Put me, how did I end up in that seat right next to you? Ayala, Krapas, and Ayala. These things happen to me all the time. Sometimes I give a class. At any class, someone walks up to me, Maharaj, who told you about my problem? Why are you picking on me? You know, I just, just like that, I walk in, I, I, I don't know a lot of the devotees here, you know. But this person was sure I was just talking to him. It was just like, we just prayed, in the beginning I always prayed, Krishna just used me as an instrument, speak through me. So I may not know, even how I, what I'm saying is how it's relating to different devotees. But I may have some special message to them. Like this, you're trying to serve Krishna, be an instrument in his hands, and uh, see how many people we can say. We'd like to right now. She was this lady was telling us all about this Krishna and the seven days and the seven months and the seven this and that and that, and how this may be the Antichrist and all this. And so, well, we know there's a 10,000 year golden period, which is just about to start, you know, it's just starting now, it's just a twilight, but we have to actually activate it. She says, that sounds good. <laughs> so, right now, we really have, it's important to have all these centers with how to actually reach out more. Krishna will give us some opportunities. Whenever they come, we should. Think how to best utilize them for Krishna's service under guidance of Guru and Krishna. 
Any questions, comments? Sananini? You were speaking about how Krishna generally interferes or intervenes only in rare circumstances Not only great devotees, it could be it could be any devotee, but not for a demon, not for a demon, it's a man who so much. But sometimes I think, even if I do so, stub my toe, get a parking ticket, and I'm giving Krishna, you allow this to happen, but, but by your explanation, I'm seeing that it's very rare, and it's probably sitting back up, because Krishna's going to be orchestrating everywhere for his life, so we don't suffer, and you're also talking about the material world, being suffering, so through suffering, If it's too nice, you want to stay here. You wouldn't get so. I mean, maybe you want to like want to stay, you know, as a conscious thing because you're a senior devotee. But you may not take it, you know, like so much of a priority to get out. <laughs> Why can't I start to slide? But you never know. You never know what. I, we, right now, in some countries, we have. Uh, Devote, uh, some, a police guy gave a ticket to a devotee, they gave him a book, and he became a devotee. <laughs> Maybe Krishna, why don't you send you that policeman? Did he take your ticket? Okay, you know, you, you deserved it anyway. I'm sure they didn't give you a ticket for no reason. But then, uh, maybe, you know, give him a book, give him a prasad, invite him to the restaurant. Who knows? Perhaps become the devotees too. I haven't heard of too many in America, but in... Uh, Europe, there's all kinds of... In, in England, in uh, Russia, there was this policeman. <laughs> I took, I got a picture of him, right? You were with me in Russia there, or was he in a... Oh, anyway, he's wearing, you know, those... It was at the farm, uh, at the uh, festival in the Black Sea. I stood with one of these, uh, he's a devotee cop, with his uniform. And, uh, I have a disciple who's uh, on the vice squad in Croatia. So he's always in plain clothes, busting narcos. What a job for a devotee, huh? But uh, he's also a good preacher. The devotee who met me at the airport is an IRS officer. He checks the uh, computers of the big corporations, see if they're cheating. Someone comes in and checks your income tax, and it comes with the voting, you know. <laughs> or whatever it is. Anyway, this material world is meant for suffering. Maybe someone else... It's hard to understand why the things are happening, but here, Arjuna, I mean... Uh, Prahlad just sums it up that this material world is meant for suffering and uh, that's just part of it. Also, uh, when we suffer, we burn off, uh, devotees tend to burn off uh, much more karma than what the suffering that they go through. Like Prabhupada once, he cut his finger and just one drop came out and he said, actually I should have had my head cut off, but I just had to suffer a drop. Who knows how many comments you burned off by that parking ticket or whatever it was. That, 
We are spending Krishna's money on parking tickets. Yes, Prabhu? This talk a little bit about people leaving this world. And as I recall, Prabhupada said something that there was about 8 million non human forms. So, what I'm wondering is that it seems we have this idea that you sleep too much, you don't care, you know, this is a correlation view. But you don't go down necessarily to the lowest rung on the ladder, you could say, whether that is an individual or whatever. So how is that, in other words, if we have to go through eight million species before we get to the human form, then how is it that do we, when you fall, do you also, many people go all the way down to the lowest possible level and then start to work their way up? There's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita, I don't have that one by heart, where I think it's in the 16th chapter the demons and devotees that are demonic. But some people are so demonic, or maybe it's in the 4th, but some people are so demonic that uh, Krishna puts them into very uh, low births so that they just, they, they, because there's so much inimical to him and they're so demonic, he puts them down and they're so far down that it's practically they never get back. But then, no, there's no perpetual, perpetual, but you know, by the time they work their way up again and then they, so what exact birth that is, you know, they start off as a germ again, come up from bacteria to work their way up again and how it works. But that's because they don't, they don't want to know anything about God. They don't want anything to do with spirituality. They, you know, they want to be in ignorance. It's also, it's not, they're given what they want. They want to be in total ignorance. So if you're just some kind of really low organism or some low kind of uh, entity that has very little developed consciousness, then you know, so I was in uh, no Taliban farm, they have this farm, like 1,300 acres. And so there's some season when I went there, when there were these, what they call love bugs. And most of their life they were together copulating. So maybe there was someone that was really, you know, into sex life and he wants to enjoy it, so he gets to be a love bug, you know. That's all he wants to know or she wants to know doesn't want anything else higher in life, so in most of their life that's what they're doing. You know? Seems smashing against your windshield. You know? <laughs> so there's all different kinds of births for different kinds. I mean, the, like what, sometimes you probably look at a particular insect, a particular, say, what kind of desire that creature had, you know, that person had to get that birth. Everybody gets the birth that they desired. So if someone, I mean, they had to really be in the mode of ignorance as a human being to become a bearer again, you know, 
because uh, they really have to just, I mean, really be extensively into sleep because human life is meant for, for higher development. So these are a little bit of human life. Maybe they go to church, or they do, they go to the mosque, do something, little, some spiritual, they want to help other people. Something in a little bit of touch of goodness is there. Then you can come back as a human being. But if there's someone's like really totally in ignorance, to such an extent that that particular birth is fits them right just to the T. It's exactly what they want. Just sleep. Or otherwise, you get cases where people are temporarily in a strange state of consciousness and they take birth. Like uh, Bharat Maharaj, where he was, he got so much attached about his deer, then he died in deer consciousness, but he could remember his previous births. So that was like a rude awakening for him, like God blew it. So the next life he came back as a Brahmin. In the Purana, there's another number of stories like that, different people that might take birth as an animal, but they remember. Or just for one, like in the Padma Purana, about the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita glories, there's this whole long story how this man was a world-class musician, but because he was such a famous musician, he was, uh, he was the royal musician of the emperor, but he would always have illicit relations with women. Because, you know, they're musicians, you know, they, whatever they attract. So then uh, his wife was very upset with him, obviously. And then uh, she decided, one point she got this strange idea that if she has an affair, then that will make her husband be loyal and faithful. But something happened when she had an affair and he objected and said then had this argument, well, you're doing it, but you're a woman. Men can do it, men, you know, whole horrible thing. But then what happened, she got attached to the other guy, which she didn't expect. She was just doing it as a show to get her husband back. But then she became a fallen lady and she was having an affair with some other guy and then her husband was really getting uh, uh, angry with her and they were having fights all the time and so then she saw him as an obstacle for her sense gratification, killed him in his sleep, threw it, cut his body in little pieces, threw it down into a well. And then uh, the emperor asked, where's my musician? Called the her and said, well, he went out for a program, never came back. So declared her after so many, after some time, she was declared as a de facto widow, put on a pen, 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 what do you call it? pension put on a pension, and she was enjoying life, you know, put it, but showing everyone she's like this very white-dressed, you know, widow, very sacred person, but she was doing all kinds of nonsense on the side. Then she got this horrible disease where she died of uh, hemorrhoids and piles, and she died from <clears throat> bleeding from the anus. She couldn't sit down, she couldn't lay down, she was in a terrible pain. Who knows why people, you know, dying of what they did this life or previous lives. Here they, you know, they trace it out like, okay. 
<clears throat> then she, so what happened? When he died, he was taken to uh, Yamaraj for the judgment. And then Yamaraj said that, look, you're a great musician. You rose high in society. You should have used your music to glorify God. Instead, you're using your music to, uh, to you know, score women. So, whatever, I maybe didn't use that language, but you know, you <laughs> I can't speak like that in other countries because nobody knows the slang, but... <laughs> anyway, too, uh, this is being recorded, so... <laughs> anyway, he got sentenced to taking birth as a... Uh, as a uh, vulture, because he's a high flyer, but he's a low looker. <laughs> he flies very high, but he's just looking down for dead bodies. So, Prabhupada used that enough. Then when she died, she was taken, and then Yamaraj said, well, you put out your hand on your shoulder, you're a very pious lady, but you were doing all these sinful things, so... you're actually like a... you're not... you're, you're like a bird brain. You look pretty like a bird, but uh, you got no intelligence. How to utilize you at this great position in the empire. So she became a parrot. So then it says that the vulture, Jai, the vulture was flying over the, a forest, a, a jungle, and sees this uh, parrot flying under him. Then he gets a sudden flashback that the parrot this is ex-wife, who had killed him in his sleep. So he died, he swoops down and catches her. And he said, well, you made me suffer so much, I'm not going to finish you off easy, I'm going to make you die a slow death. So using his talons, he like, gradually just start tearing her apart, but little by bit by bit. So she's screaming and suffering, and these vultures are much bigger than parrots, this particular parrot in Lincoln. So he got thirsty from all the torturing, and then he saw a nice dead body with a skull upside down, and in that skull there was some water. So for the vulture, this is like nectar drink. So he sits on the side of the skull, and he's going to drink the water, and the parrot squealing, screaming. Screeching. <laughs> they hear a bird screech, screech. And then uh, some hunter hears and shoots the arrow and it goes to both of the two, the parrot and the vulture, and they fall down into the water and the skull. Then they get taken back to Yamaraj. So this was just a one birth assignment. It, was just a, it wasn't like a permanent, they didn't have to work their way up, but they were taken back. Then the scribes, the people that are keeping track of the karmas, they're like lawyers or something. They're telling, no, he should, maybe this was some lawyers ago, I don't know. I don't want to curse anybody, but uh, what a job, huh? Universal lawyer for the people's karma. It says that there's, there's accountants there, there's people that keep track of everything. So he said, this person, he hasn't done anything. He was torturing his ex-wife, even as a bird. He's like got so much hate and envy in his heart. He's, you know, he doesn't, he, he should uh, go back into the animal kingdom again or something. Yamaraj <clears throat> goes in a little meditation, then he has a higher vision. He said, no, both of them are free, they're going back to Godhead. 
So the man, he said, maybe there's some mistake here because I, I really am a bad person. I mean, I'm really bad. I, I mean, I was true. I'm bad. How, how could I possibly deserve to go back to God here? What did I do that I could possibly go back? And then Yamaraj says, well, you were sitting on the edge of this uh, skull which had water in it. And that was a devotee who every day used to chant. It was a skull that was the, the, the cadaver, the skull, whatever, no, it was the skull, the skeleton of a devotee who were chanting the fifth chapter of Bhagavad Gita every day. 